Welcome to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'm Steve Sarley, my partner's Dave Kranz. We Fish ASA is always pleased to offer you conversation with the most interesting, the most informative, the most entertaining, as well as some of the biggest names in the world of fishing. We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association, particularly St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta. Makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion in Daiwa. We've got your bass covered. Boy, they sure do. Daiwa Reels. We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can always pick it up at our website, wefishasa.com. We Fish ASA is produced by our executive producer, Mr. Brad Nearman. He's with Berserk Productions down in Land Old Lakes, Florida. Hello, Brad. How you doing? On today's show, Dave Kranz kicks it off with a visit with Dan Johnston. We're going to have another excellent guest, as always, on the Calcutta segment that follows that. And I'm going to visit with Mr. Brian Schmidt. He's fished on Major League Fishing. He's fished on Bassmaster. He's pre-fishing this morning. Uh, on the Potomac River for a big event. Uh, we're going to talk to him in the boat. Maybe he'll catch a fish while we've got him. But first, let's swing it over to Dave Kranz. Dave Kranz is going to bring out Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Take it away, David. As Steve said, I am Dave Kranz. This is the We Fish ASA podcast, and this segment is already brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth, and they always bring us Dan Johnston. How you doing, Dan? Doing great, Dave. You know, we're heading into a time of year that both you and I love. It's the fall, and uh, all times of the year, there are different phases that make these birds and animals and fish and everything that we're, we're chasing, uh, they, they react to it, um, not because of anything other than the fact that you and I have talked about the master plan, and, and we're both avid hunters and outdoorsmen and fishermen, but, but we, we notice a lot of these things that happen just because of that, don't we? Yeah, you know, I don't want to preach to people, but this is pretty obvious evidence to me that there's things out there greater beyond us, you know, and I think being a hunter and an angler my whole life, I get reminded of that every single time I go. And a couple examples I could give you is when, you're catching crappies every cast and all of a sudden you can't buy one across the whole lake and you got 10 buddies out there and they all say the same thing at the exact same time. Explain that one, you know, or all of a sudden the birds in the woods just start to go nuts or all of a sudden the deer get up and just start moving. And there's other days you just swear there's nothing around and fishing and hunting really teaches you that. And I think it's number one, I firmly believe it. Nobody will convince me otherwise. I believe in feeding time, feeding windows, moon phases, uh, barometric pressure affecting animals. And it has a, it, you know, it, one of the best examples I could give you that's a fact is how it affects the tides. You know, so I, I think that we need to, in my humble opinion, we need to understand that, uh, but more importantly, understand what, how to deal with it. Because unfortunately, in my line of work, when I get a chance to go fishing, I have to go. I can't wait for the perfect time. So if I understand that those things do matter, I can adjust my strategy, either downsize or slow down, you know, or hard target pound 20 casts to one spot to get a bite when it's tough high pressure, or to the converse, cover a ton of water and throw a big bait and 
get try to throw it in their mouth when I know they're swimming around with their mouth open. You know, so I, I think understanding that and accepting it is is really important. And and again, I think it goes I think people that hunt a lot really, really get that because you can sit in the woods and it just sounds like a it's quiet as a church. And then an hour later it just goes nuts and everything starts moving around and these animals don't have the opera. They don't have walkie talkies, you know, so there's something's triggering that. And I, I love it. And it's, it's really been, been a big part of my strategy behind it. Yeah. And I always write down so lunar times when I'm going on my, my deer trips and know that this time or that time, you know, maybe the, the group says, Hey, we're going to hunt the morning and then we're going to come out the afternoon and, you know, eat lunch or go fish the pond or whatever. And then we're going to hunt the evening again. But if, if there's a salooner time and it starts at 11 o'clock in the morning and goes to one, I, for one, I'm going to stay in that stand. Now, that being said, I, I'm aware of the salooner times during the fishing, uh, tournaments that I do or guide trips, but it's a little different there. We're fishing hard all day, no matter what time of day it is, but there are the same similarities where things, bait starts moving or the birds start diving the bait or you go start seeing mink run on the bank or something something different that you're, you're like, okay, what's changed here? And it always seems to relate back to a key feed time or salooner time as you mentioned, the tides, that makes a difference on, on all those uh, waters that are affected by tidal, and that does trigger feeding. Well, it does, and, it, you know, I, I don't think you and I are saying that people need to stay up at night studying tables and buying a fishing time watch and, you know, completely tailoring everything around that, but I think what we are saying is there's tells. There's things that can give that up, you know, like whether you get the, let's say the wind changes into the south and the clouds get that cotton ball up to it and you get a little humidity and you hear two or three blow ups all of a sudden, you know, that's obviously a sign things are happening. All of a sudden the, the insects are a regular great example. You got insects all over the place, you know, and there's, there's tells that'll tell you when things are going on. And I think we just need to be very aware to not get in such a rut in a zone where we're just doing the same old thing mechanically all the time because if we can make a change to things like that it can be very beneficial and again in both ways it can work in our favor and it can absolutely work against us we can be smoking fish and all of a sudden things get quiet the wind goes in the north and it gets a little chillier and the humidity's gone you can see a million miles in the sky and that's the time to say okay you know what i might keep trying this i might pick up a few stragglers but I'm going to think a little bit more outside the box. Fish might get closer to targets. They might not want to feed quite as much. I might have to downsize, make repetitive casts to key areas, change our strategy. And, and a lot of times it's a tell what we get on the water. And it could be multiple times a day. It's not as easy as cut, copy, paste saying, you know, sunrise, sunset, or cloudy days and wind. It's not that simple because we could have cloudy days and wind. It's, it's sunrise and it could be perfect, but it might be the wrong feeding window from a solar owner standpoint and it can mess us up. So I, I think understanding all that's important, you know, but the main thing is, you know, so many people say, let the fish tell you what they want. I think that's really what a lot of people are trying to say when they say that. Yeah, I think so. And you you say uh, being aware and understanding it. And uh, I think more importantly, okay, you're aware that it happens. These things, it's slowed down. It gets busy. You see things going on, so you may change what you're doing. But I think you and I do something that's different than that. We believe it, and we know that it's changing the things. And 
way over being aware of it. We believe it and we count on it and we structure our techniques and our approach to whether it's hunting or fishing or anything in the outdoors because we do believe it. Failure makes you better. And I'm, I've failed as much as anybody on this call. I, I have failed miserably. And that's how you learn is you get your butt whipped by not believing in something and trying to force a circle into a square. And next thing you know, you go home and tell your buddies, well, they weren't biting. Well, they probably weren't. But if I'd have been smart enough to make a change, given on the obvious things that I saw and not gotten too stubborn, I might have done better. So I, I think that our failures make us better. And I think a lot of times we get humbled in the outdoors. You know, the more the more you think, you know, the less you realize you really know in the big picture is the most awesome part about this sport. Dave, I learn from you every day. I learn from listeners on this call that make comments and at sports shows and other anglers beat me on the water. And I think that's the fun of it. Uh, just trying to figure those things out. But we, I think for, for, with regard to this topic, the more we understand that it does matter, the better chance we have to having success in dealing with it. Absolutely. And, and I uh, 100% agree. I, the other thing is I, I think that when you, when it is going well like that, um, why people do this and I've seen it happen on, on when I'm out on the water and they're getting a good bite. They're getting a steady bite. They're catching, you know, four or five fish an hour and they go and they do something else. If it's working Keep doing it. Unless you're practicing for a tournament or you want to learn if another area was good under the same conditions and, and that kind of thing. Or uh, we both fish tournaments. If you're catching numbers of fish, but you got a spot that's a big fish spot, you go to that. But for most, the most part, uh, when it's going good, don't, don't fix it, right? Yeah, I would agree. I, I violate that one a lot, uh, only for the second point that you made. If they're really, really biting, really good, that's the time a lot of times where I'll go to an area that I always think is good and I'm just there at the wrong time just to make sure. And, and a lot of times or I'll pick up something different to try to get a bigger bite because I know they're biting really good and I'm catching them on a little quarter out swim bait really good, but they're two pounders and I'm thinking, okay, they're on fire. So I'm going to go to a big fish spot and try something different and not knowing that the lake is on. So I violate that a lot. I don't think there's a right way and a wrong way around that, but I've learned so much on going to areas that I don't fish much, knowing it's a great time to do it and uh, discover that they're actually there. Then when it's tough, I can go back to those key areas, find great hard targets, knowing they're probably there and then trying to figure out a way to catch them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's good advice. The other the other thing is when you have a window that's good, generally the next day, it's only an hour off. It advances an hour, whether that's fishing or hunting or tides. It's all moving with the, the moon phases and, and things that we have zero control over and they're going to happen. So the easy way to do is if they started buying at, biting at eight o'clock today, tomorrow, maybe be in a good spot or a big fish spot at, at nine o'clock so that you, you catch that same type of bite. Is that something that you do also just because it's easy to figure out? Yeah, I'll take a little offshoot on that one. One thing I do all the time is if I get a big wind coming in for two days in a row, let's say it's out of the southwest and it's pounding somewhere, and the third day it's light five mile an hour out of the east, I'll go right back in where that wind was, even though it's not now, because I know what it's done the last <laughs> two days. It's pounded bait, it's pounded fish, it's off-colored the water a little bit. It takes a while for those things to reverse out. So even though the conditions aren't perfect the time you're there, 
if it happened two days before big time, especially wind, you can play off, play those cards for a, a lot of times about a half a day after the fact. And still the, 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 the ripple effect, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, lasts a little longer than the actual wind blowing. Absolutely. And on big bodies of water, that it can raise the water by just from the wind-induced uh, current, and then it starts pulling back, so you got movement. And I 100% agree, and, and I do the same thing. I, I think we're, we're on the same page when it comes to the outdoors, and uh, I don't think we've really talked. We've mentioned this, but I don't think we've done a segment about it, and I think it's a good segment, and people should pay attention. And the information you give weekly is awesome, and uh, appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much, Dave. Oh, no problem. That was Dan Johnston. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote. And this segment was brought to you by St. Croix, the best rods on earth. The We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. Probably one of the number one questions I get, you know, what line do I use? That's a big debate. For every tour out there, everybody's debating which line. I choose the simple side. My choice of line is Sunline. And my favorite lines to use is Sunline. How all can you use it? Anywhere you want to. Anywhere there's water and bass, it's good. Walleye, catfish, trout, speckled trout, ready. sharks. There we go. Uh, I don't say this unless I think it's true, but honestly, it's the best in the market. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Rule your water. Rule it with a St. Croix rod. Whether you take to the lake, wade the rivers, or cast from shore, St. Croix provides responsive performance, ensuring your success below every surface. With a St. Croix rod in hand, you're a part of a celebrated tradition that has spanned 70 years. Touch, power, and control are right at your fingertips and extend to you the finest fishing experience on the planet. St. Croix, the best rods on earth. Welcome back to the We Fish ASA podcast. I am Dave Cran. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment is brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. I always like to say my guests for this segment have a passion for the outdoors. My next guest comes on quite frequently. He is Mike Leonard. He is Vice President of Governmental Affairs for the American Sport Fishing Association, and we're going to ask him for a legislative update. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing great, Dave. How are you? I am doing good. Always glad to get your uh, your uh, updates and feedback on uh, the pulse of what's happening for our industry politically. And lots to talk about this episode. Yeah, we got plenty. Um, some of it's good. Some of it maybe not so good. But, you know, that's what keeps us do the messy, dirty, behind-the-scenes work on fisheries policy busy, I guess. It's just the reason they keep keep our jobs and keep plugging away yep. but, uh, but yeah no there's there's plenty going on i mean you know i'm based in the dc area work a lot with congress there's this mad rush to the end of the year we've got the midterm elections coming up congress is trying to uh get some legislative business done this month like uh allow government funding to continue so the shutdown doesn't happen and then race back home and campaign for the midterm start and um you know we've been working on a bunch of bills that we're hoping 
will also receive some attention. They've made it pretty far down the legislative process, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of getting those final votes and getting them cleared through the House and Senate and get them enacted. Um, but yeah, it's 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 plenty going on. I mean, I'll just mention one of those because it's a top of mind issue. We've uh, we're trying to get done something called the Recovering America's Wildlife Act that. I think we've talked about on this uh, this podcast before, mm-hmm. but um, this is uh, something that would supplement um, yeah, the, the work that the state fish and wildlife agencies do, the funding they get from anglers and hunters through license fees and excise taxes on equipment. Um, you know, the state agencies are pulled in a lot of directions. They have a ton of responsibilities, and there's this really important bill called the Recovering America's Wildlife Act that would help state agencies address um, challenges with threatened species or species that may be heading towards the Endangered Species Act listing and um, help prevent that from happening. So recover species before they get in a, in a, a threatened or endangered state and um, something that you know will have good benefits for fish and wildlife and the critters that we like to, to go after too because you're talking about you know, cleaner, uh, cleaner water and healthier habitat and, and better fisheries all the way around. Um, and uh, we had a group in town this week, uh, actually Jesse Simpkins with St. Croix Rod, I'm sure many listeners are very familiar with St. Croix, uh, was in town and we spent some time on the Hill meeting with some senators to talk about how we get that bill across the finish line. And uh, you know, just a great example of, I'm sure folks may be somewhat aware of this, of you know, how much industry leaders put their own time and attention towards this stuff, that they're not just out you know, innovating and making cool products. They're doing that too, but you know, you've got a lot of companies like Zincor and others that are really giving back and um, leaning in on the, the conservation side and the advocacy side, stuff that needs to get done to make sure that uh, folks can continue to go fishing and that we have those great opportunities. So um, so anyway, that'd be a great one if we can get that one across the finish line, but uh, the clock's ticking and we've got, got plenty more work to do. Yeah, yeah, and that it, it is... Uh, uh, eye-opening to many people what the industry uh, leaders do, uh, not only in our industry, but many industries for conservation, for wildlife, for clean, accessible waters, and uh, it, it's it's all good uh, good things going on. What, what else do we have that's uh, trying to get done before everybody breaks loose in Washington and heads home to campaign? Yeah, I mean, we've got some other things. There's something called the Outdoor Recreation Act that's a really good bill that, uh, you know, not just good for fishing, but good for hiking and mountain biking and snowmobiling, you name it. It's a bundle of a bunch of different bills that would uh, would help improve public land management, uh, the way federal land management agencies are you know, giving out permits to different guiding activities or uh, the way they're collecting visitation data or the way that recreation is prioritized when you develop a management plan. It's just sort of a, a comprehensive, across-the-board look at how do we make sure that we're modernizing the way our public lands from national parks, national forests, Bureau of Land Management, and on and on, uh, how recreation is, is treated in those uh, those facilities and those sites and making sure that uh, we're getting the priority that we need. And this is you know one that across the political spectrum has broad support. We're not necessarily asking for more money as part of it. This is really just policy reforms and improvements, which, which always helps. We're not yeah. necessarily going to Congress and asking them to appropriate more money for us. It's, you know, just let's get the good policy in place and the, the money will come as a result of that. And uh, so, yeah, that's another good one that we, uh, we're we hoping. You know, it's passed out of a Senate committee. It had unanimous support. So even the farthest right members and the farthest left members all voted yes on it. So uh, we're hopeful that that one gets done, too. I mean, I'll just say in a big picture standpoint, uh, you know, there's a lot going on right now. There's, as I 
I said before, there's midterm elections. There's, uh, you know, from one day to another, <laughs> you know, we had the rail strike issue going on the last couple of days. We've got the potential government shutdown coming up at the end of this month, uh, midterm elections. But, you know, I'd say collectively our community's done a good job of making sure that outdoor recreation has remained uh, getting attention of members of Congress, that this is not just something they can push aside and uh, we'll, we'll get to that when we've got some spare time. But this is, this is an important industry, important community, and uh, something that deserves uh, consideration by Congress, even when their time's you know, pretty scarce and scattered. Yeah. We, we deserve that attention. That's been really, really neat to see that, you know, we're finally starting to gain some traction there. And outdoors and recreation, what's more bipartisan than that? Exactly. And that, and part of what's cool working for the sport fishing industry is you can go into literally every single con- congressional district and there's fishing that goes on there and you can tell them about their fisheries in the district, the number of anglers, the number of businesses. And uh, yeah, so it doesn't matter what member Congress you're dealing with. It's, it's, an, it's a relevant industry. Uh, yeah, I mean, conservation, especially the way our community views it, it's generally something that pretty much everybody can get behind. So, um, so yeah, we've got a lot, a lot of good going on. Some negative, too, if you want to get into that. Yeah, go ahead. What, <laughs> else, what else we got going? May as well do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, let's see. I don't know which of these would be the bad or which would be the ugly. Maybe they're both. <laughs> both issues are both bad and ugly. But one is um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service you know, took something that's you know, a good thing and just you know, made it not good. They, uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service, they manage all of the national wildlife refuges around the country. There's several hundreds of these. Um, and most of them allow for fishing or hunting at some level. And every, every year, the Fish and Wildlife Service goes through a process to examine all the refuges and sees where there are opportunities to expand hunting and fishing access. So either adding new types of uh, game uh, of wildlife that are allowed to be hunted or uh, areas where fishing hadn't been allowed, now they're suddenly going to uh, allow fishing. Uh, and that's always a great thing, and we always celebrate it. Um, part of me always wonders why these areas weren't open to fishing to begin with, but, yep. you know, it's always a good thing to fix a, a problem. But uh, but this time around, the Fish and Wildlife Service uh, really caved to some pressure from some extreme environmental groups, and it's not going to allow fishing in these handful of refuges that they're opening, uh, right, not going to allow lead fishing tackle to be used in these refuges that are um, being open to fishing, which, you know, lead is, tends to be a dirty four-letter word and recognize that lead in most of its forms is, is bad. I mean, it's not something humans want to interact with, but it's also a really important tool in a lot of uh, sinkers and jigs and a uh, wide range of fishing tackle. It does not end up having any negative impacts on on humans or wildlife, but, um, you know, you've got just these environmental groups that view it as an easy issue to campaign on and raise money on. And like I said, very unfortunate that the Fish and Wildlife Service is caving to that pressure because there's really literally no science to support this. We've asked them, you know, what are the wildlife issues in these specific refuges where lead tackle would, um, would threaten any specific species and they don't have any answers for that. It's, um, you know, for an agency that's supposed to be based on science management and let the data drive where you go, um, this is not that at all. So, um, so there will be some refuges starting in a few years where lead will be phased out. Our bigger concern is this is the start of sort of a, a slippery slope where if we're doing it now and not basing it on any science, then what's to stop National Service to start banning lead in all of its refuges or other federal land management sure, agencies? Sure. Now suddenly we're, you know, micromanaging what anglers can use in their tackle boxes and 
not having any, any basis on it. So, so that one's been really frustrating. No, definitely a concern. Uh, we got time for uh, one more, I think. What else is uh, the one last one? ugly and bad one. <laughs> on the marine side, uh, there's a proposal by the National Marine Fisheries Service to uh, put in vessel speed restrictions. So any boat 35 feet and up in the Atlantic Ocean from Massachusetts to North Florida would not be able to go more than 10 knots, which is about 11 and a half miles an hour, for half the year. So November through April or May, depending on what region you're in, due to concerns of, of right whales. Mm. So again, Atlantic coast, Massachusetts to Florida, winter through spring, about 35 feet and up can't go more than 11 and a half miles an hour for, in some areas, up to 90 miles offshore the moment you leave the port. Um, so we obviously want to protect right whales. The population's in trouble, but it is, I mean, unfathomably rare that boats will end up encountering and striking right whales. There was a really unfortunate incident a few years ago in St. Augustine, Florida, where a 40, uh, 48-foot uh, sport fishing boat uh, struck a right whale. Of course, it was deadly to the whale. It was catastrophic to the, the boat. It's not something anybody wants to have happen. But no. the idea that you're going to sub- subject entire Atlantic coast to this type of speed restriction, which ultimately is going to mean most trips are canceled because you can't go very far offshore uh, and actually get any time in for fishing if you have to go that slow. No, um, no, no. Really, really challenging proposal that's going to have a devastating impact on um, on fishing and marinas and tackle shops, you name it, up and down the coast if this goes through. And our concern is this was rushed. There was no consultation with the sport fishing community or anyone else. Uh, it'll also, by the way, have a huge disruption to our ports. There's a lot of their boats that go to and from are going to be impacted by this sure. too. So yeah. you can imagine all the supply chain issues. It's just a, it's a, a disaster getting ready to happen. Well, hopefully some of these things, uh, common sense prevails in, uh, and for the fish and wildlife, they look at the science rather than just making a decision based on somebody um, making noise about it. But uh, always appreciate the, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Mike. Uh, and uh, we always like the update on the We Fish ASA podcast, and we look forward to the next time we give you a call. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Uh, no problem. That was Mike Leonard. I am Dave Kranz. Steve Sarley is remote, and this segment was brought to you by Calcutta, an outdoor company that builds gear and apparel. For those with a passion for the outdoors, the We Fish ASA podcast will be right back. The outdoors is more than just a profession for us here at Big Rock Sports. As avid anglers, hunters, and outdoor enthusiasts, it's our passion. So advocating on behalf of the outdoor sporting goods industry is a top priority for us. Big Rock Sports is proud to serve as the voice and advocate of outdoor sporting goods retailers across the nation. Big Rock Sports works tirelessly to protect our fisheries and anglers' rights. Big Rock Sports, we are here for you. Calcutta, we're an outdoor coastal trading company that builds gear and apparel for those with a passion for the outdoors. Born in the back of a Florida bait and tackle shop, Calcutta was created with a rebellious spirit and a goal to offer hardworking outdoor products at a reasonable price. Calcutta builds the products that fit your lifestyle. We're on a mission to help you reclaim your free time and to declare mutiny on the mundane. Depend on Calcutta gear and apparel. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. 
The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. Petula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. Welcome back to We Fish ASA, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. Please remember that We Fish ASA is brought to you by the proud industry members of the American Sport Fishing Association. Please help to ensure the future of fishing by visiting keepamericafishing.org. You know, if you're an industry professional, please consider joining the American Sport Fishing Association by visiting asafishing.org. With us right now is uh, one of the busiest guys in professional bass fishing. Man, this guy is always on the water. He's on the water right now. Please welcome a Bassmaster champion, a major league fishing professional. This guy does it all. He is Brian Schmidt. Hey, Brian, how are you? Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm doing really good. I'm out on the water right now, tucked up under a marina, covered a covered marina. It's raining really, really bad up here on the Chesapeake, but very glad to be with you guys here. Hey, happy to have you too. And people don't realize, you know, I try to tell people as often as possible that professional fishing is not as easy as the average guy thinks, man. They think you get in a boat, you toss some lures around for a couple days, they hand you a check for a hundred grand. Man, that is living large, you know? They don't they don't realize the stuff you have to put up with, like getting a pain in the neck, uh, pain in the neck radio guy calling you to do an interview on a holiday. And in the meantime, you're trying to you're trying to pre-fish a big tournament, but we want to talk to you. There's no letting up the pressure. It's a busy life, isn't it? It can be, yes, sir. It's uh, it, it's always something. What's next? What's next? You're never done. So, I, uh, you know, as far as fishing concerned, you're always busy, and you know, I like it that way. I don't like a lot, a lot of downtime, and I like to stay sharp. And hey, man, this is a great opportunity for me to get out of that rain for a few minutes and talk to you. I'm very glad to be part of this show. Hey, you're you're a cool guy. Let me tell you. You just come off of a big, big win on the Mississippi River in the Elite Series. Tell us about that. How important was that to you? It was very important. You know, it's um, like we like we just talked about. There's always something. You know, if you're not on the Elite Series, if you're not worried about just catching them, you're worried about the classic. You're worried about, or you're worried about requalifying it. You know, and, and, and representing the companies that back you and stuff, it's always something. So it's a very, very high-pressure situation. You know, there's millions of people dying to get out there and fish the league series, and it's it's not as easy as you think. But that win was huge. It was my second elite win, and, um, you know, it couldn't have come at a better time, Steve. You know, I was... I was needing a really, really good finish to get in the classic. And going into day four, I knew that I, points wise, I had made the classic, and the pressure was off. And it was just one of those scenarios that, you know, I had a free mind, and I had a spot that 
I really didn't realize was as good as it was, and the fish were coming to it, and it was just a magical, magical day, man. Yeah, that is that's amazing. Does not uh, does not happen often. Not even for the not even for the top pros. Uh, take it take it back. You talked about uh, uh, qualifying and making the classic. That's one thing that we we never talk about. Uh, we, we you know the average guy figures, hey, once you're once you're at the level you're in, uh, there's nowhere else to go but up. When you're at the elites, you're up as as far as you can go in the rankings of professional tournament fishing it's not all all automatic uh what do you have to do to maintain your elite status so you you're exactly right so you know today's world right now the last couple of years everybody wants to be on the elite series there's hundreds of very very talented anglers that are fishing all the opens be, you know, trying to make the Elite Series. So every year there's going to be a cut of a certain amount of anglers from the Elite Series to allow new anglers come in. To You know, they don't want to extend the field to too big of a size to keep the kind of Elite Series status. So with that being said, you know, bottom line is if you don't do good, you're gone. You know, you as a rookie, you're guaranteed a second year. But after your rookie year, you're, you, you know, you can be on the chopping block. So you, you have to really fish good. Every point matters on the Leaf Series. And, you know, I fished the, the former FLW Tour for a long time. And, you know, there was 170 anglers. And there were six events, seven events. You could have a rough one or two and then follow it up with a top ten. And it, it would kind of even it out. But these guys are just so good, and there's just so few anglers that every point matters, and it's it's a very stressful thing. And, and you know, thankfully this this got me into the green, and I have a couple. You know, I'll probably have a couple more years of the lead series if if everything goes well. But uh, you know, it, it's not just when you get there everything's green, man. It's uh, you got to work. Your butt off to stay there is is probably the best way to say it. I would have to think that the pressure is immense because I, I can't imagine what it would be like to not make the cut after you've already been there. I imagine there's a lot of uh, a lot of, of uh, guys picking at you, uh, uh, busting your cojones uh, for not doing it. Is that a, is, does that happen or do they? feel badly for you and leave you alone oh i'm i mean i'm i'm sure people any you know good friends will bust your they'll bust your chops as much as they can but um you know you you just got to keep your head down and do your job and you know you you, you if you're pretty solid and you you have you can have an off year but you better follow it up with a good year you know what i mean Makes sense to me. Definitely makes sense to me. Uh, and, and and there's no guarantees, and there's no. Uh, we're looking at it and saying, "Boy, oh boy, I got to put my head down and, and and fish harder and better." It's not you, you do as good as you can all the time. It's not like you can uh, you can uh, press the accelerator and fish harder this period. Right. You know, it, it is you are what you are. Yeah, and there's so, there's so much out of your control. 
that that's you said it right there you're fishing against mother nature you cannot control everything things can change but you'll notice there's certain guys that just consistently perform and they're fighting the same conditions you know they're they're adapting and they seem to always do it so there's that's what intrigues me about this is there's definitely different levels and you know, you never know everything. Like I'm learning every day because, you know, you know, I'm thankful to make two classics in a row, but there's guys that have done it 15 times in a row and they're never worried about requalifying. That shows me there's levels to it. And, you know, it's, it keeps me intrigued if you know what I mean. Sure. Sure. And, uh, uh, you know, I look at it, uh, just making the classic is, is a, a victory in itself. Uh, uh, they always used to, in football, they always would uh, uh, put, the, put the knock on uh, Jim Kelly from the Buffalo Bills uh, for lose, <laughs> losing four Super Bowls. And, I, man, oh, man, he made four Super Bowls. Holy smoke. Yes, Who, who's done that? How can, you, how can you say anything about him losing? It's, you know, it's got to be just a pleasure to be there and a pleasure to be in something like that is is an honor. Uh, you'll be fishing your second classic. Hopefully, you'll, you'll win it. But just being there is 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 a trophy in itself, isn't it? One hundred percent. You you said it there. It's it's a relief qualifying for it. You have plenty of time to once you qualify. The season's done. You have plenty of time to start thinking about it. You know, it's months down the road. It's an honor to be there and. Hey, you know, you're one of the 50-couple guys that has a shot to win the Classic. You can't win it if you're not there. And I believe, you know, my my thought process is if you make the Classic, it's a good year. You know, you, you might not win an event. You might not make a lot of noise in the regular season. But if you make the Classic, it's a solid year. So, you know, this year we were able to do it again and, I'm thankful just that the opportunity. There's not a lot of people say they, they made it to the classic. It's a very, very hard thing to do. And like you said, man, you know, just making it. You know, you don't have to win it, but just making it there is a big deal. Oh, for sure. I can uh I can't imagine what it's like, but uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, it's like uh, you know, go back to baseball, uh, playing in a World Series, have no idea what that's like, but you'd like to put yourself in that position and, and love to know what it would feel like as an average guy. You get to do it for real in, in the boat, uh, competing against the best of the world, seeing what's happening. When did you know that you were qualified for next year? Um, for the classic or the point or like the actual ah, for, for both. So after the Lake Oahe event, which was the, the second to last event, I knew I was requalified for the following year yeah. as long as I didn't totally pre pretty much zero at the uh, Mississippi River. Uh-huh. And I knew I had a legitimate shot at making the classic. Because, you know, we're all, we're, we're, none of us are good at math <laughs> until we start to figure out the points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we start, you know, now we, we have a dial to the exact point. So I knew... You know, and I like to give myself, you know, a honest answer. You know, I knew I needed a, probably a top 20, top 15 finish at the Mississippi River to make the Classic. 
but I felt like going into the Mississippi River that I definitely secured my spot for the you know elite series in 2023. But now the the gear was shifted to you know let's try to make it classic, and we were going to a fishery that I really like, and I felt like you know it was definitely something that could happen going into it. Interesting. I want to get back to that and talk about it a little bit more, but I need to take a quick break. Let our sponsors have a word. I want to ask you about your sponsors. So uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with more We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley, and I am talking to Brian Schmidt, who is in the boat right now, waiting on a little bit of rain delay and, uh, and, a, and a nice practice day on the Potomac River. We'll be back with more Brian Schmidt right after this. You know, when I look at the tournaments I've won, probably four or five of the boats that I've won have been on a tube. But I completely gotten away from flipping a tube because nobody, nobody made one soft enough. Big Bite has come with this new tour series of baits. The thing that's probably the most unique is when you look at that bait, the salt just rolls out of it. And to me, that is the reason a fish bites a tube and hangs on to it. This isn't one of those, let's go out and catch some smallmouth tube. This is a let's get it done tube. Bass anglers have heard it all when it comes to manufacturers having the best casting reel. Well, Daiwa can back it up with the Tatula SV. The Tatula SV has three key features that make it the most versatile casting reel on the market today. The SV spool is a lightweight aluminum spool allowing for long control light lure casting. MAG4Z gives you the option to set a precise casting range no matter what lure or wind situation. The Daiwa T-Wing system reduces line angle and friction when casting. Distance, control, and finesse like no other reel on the market. The Tula, the ultimate finesse long cast system designed by Daiwa. The St. Croix story has evolved over 70 years. With gritty determination, St. Croix built the most advanced fishing rod facility in the world. And with it, a world-class brand that has earned the respect and admiration of anglers around the planet. We will continue to challenge ourselves, our employees, and our partners to be the best every day. We're proud to celebrate 70 years of passion and commitment to making the best rods on earth. St. Croix. Welcome back to We Fish ASA. I'm Steve Sarley. My partner is Dave Kranz, but he's not here. We're talking to Brian Schmidt. Professional fisherman extraordinaire. This guy's good. He's on a hot streak. We're talking about his year. We're talking about his next year coming up. He's got it all planned out. He's he's a, one of the smarter guys around. Hey, Brian, welcome back. Hey, Steve. Glad to be here, man. Glad to have you. Glad to have you. We're talking about this, uh, and I find this interesting. You're saying you know you you know you need a a top twenty to uh, qualify for the classic. Is fishing for a top 20 different than just fishing? You know, going out to a tournament and obviously you want to win it. Uh, you know, so you're, you're, fishing for, you're fishing for the victory. Now you're in a tournament and you got to get a top 20. Do you fish different to get a top 20 than you do to try for a win? You know, Steve, I, I, that is an awesome question. I don't know how to answer that correctly. However... My wife tells me when my back's against the wall, for some reason, I always pull it out and, and, you know, make it happen. I think the combination of me needing to do well and the course 
the fishery set up for me. So, you know, I was telling one of my good buddies that fishes the least series, I was telling Brian New, I said, hey, you let me have one tournament left on a grass river fishery with my, you know, with my back against the wall to make the classic, I'll take that every single time. You know, um, I have that much confidence in a river system and, and especially grass that I felt good about it. Now, we all need something all the time. We all, you know, we have to do this. We have to make it happen. It doesn't always work out when you need that. And to say I fished any different, I don't think so. You know, I, 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 I try to really work my butt off every event, every practice for every tournament. And, and, you know, I just don't, I don't know. I think just the fishery set up for me. And hopefully one year I'll get to the final part of the season and won't need to do this, you know, pull pull a big event out to make the classic <laughs> or something like that. It'd be nice to one time just kind of float in there. But, hey, we'll keep doing what we need to do, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be nice. But I'll tell you what, the way you've done is, is, is good for the ratings. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't think the powers that be want you to have it as easy as easy of a time as you would like to have. Uh, you you are right. you are a river fisherman. Uh, you're you're pre fishing right now for a Potomac River event. Uh, Potomac River is your home water, so obviously you're you're a favorite here, and. Uh, you know, you're you're a river fisherman. At least that's the what what the 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 thing is that people describe you as. Now take it back to this elite event you won on the Mississippi River. Is the Mississippi River at all like the Potomac River? It is, Steve. It, it is. So, you know, the Potomac's full of grass. It's a shallow water fishery. The Mississippi River is a northern river full of grass it's also to in my opinion a shallow water fishery it they have current the only difference is the potomac has a tide the current goes one way for six hours and it goes another way for six hours mississippi river it goes one way forever right right but the current the current is is your friend and, and i really love current it positions fish it makes them predictable and you know, it, it fishes very, very similar. And usually, you know, on, on any river system, habitat, the best habitat's your friend. You know, you look at a river system, the reason there's a lot of habitat in certain areas is because the current doesn't wipe it out. And it's pretty simple process. You find the best habitat, you start there. And, you know, uh, I don't know, I just kind of fall you know, fell in love with river fishing very early because when you do crack the code, it's not just a couple fish. It could be a bunch of fish. And once you see that, you, you really get enthused in the rivers and, and grass fishing in general. And I don't know, man, I, I really like that river. I love to go back. You know, who knows? We, we might not go back for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. You know, talking about that changes and, uh, you had said early on with the Potomac River, you know, and uh, it being uh, uh, having the grass there, which is which is so important. You that that'll change. You could be fishing that last year and 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 on some grass beds and, and, and finding fish, 
And then you go back this year and say, man, I got my waypoints in. Boom, you head out there. And those, those waypoint spots you had marked that had those nice grass beds, there's no grass anymore. What, what, does that happen often? And what do you do? You're exactly right. So that is probably the reason that it, I love the river as much as I do or a river because it's not always that same stump. That stump on the lake might be there forever, a rock pile. It's always changing. And I think if it was the same thing every year, it would get boring to me. But just like you said, the grass gets moved around because of dirty water or hard runoff or whatever. And every year it's about finding the habitat again. And, you know, you, you got to almost start fresh, you know, every year. And that's what's cool about it. Excellent. Very, very good. Yeah, I, I could see that. And uh, it, it just it makes makes for the challenge. The challenge is, is what it's all about. I uh, talked earlier, you said, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, Brian New's name. Uh, who are your guys? Who do you, uh, who do you travel with? Who do you eat dinner with when you're on the road? So I travel with John Cruz, Derek Hudnall, and Ed Lockern. We're all we're the missile baits team, and and we all stay in the house together. We try to get a house that accommodates all four. We eat in, and we you know we try to you know have a really good group of guys right there. And I'm very very good friends with Brian New. Um, you know we don't get to travel together or stay together, but we're really really good buddies and. You know, he's a talented angler and everything like that. So that's that's my crew, man. Yeah, and, and uh, uh, obviously the Bryans are important. Uh, got got yourself, Brian Schmidt, Brian New, your good friend. And and uh, if I'm not mistaken, you work with Brian Thrift. Uh, you're on the uh, Fitzgerald Rod team? You're exactly right. He's He's a very good buddy of mine as well. Unfortunately, we don't get to fish with each other, man. He's on a different circuit, but yeah, we're all on the Fitzgerald team. And, you know, Trevor Fitzgerald, he takes good care of us and he has excellent product. And we're all together on that same team, man. All three Bryans. Whose reels are you using? Fitzgerald. I'm, I'm, okay. I'm Fitzgerald rods and reels. Who, who'd you have before Fitzgerald on the, on the reels? Um, a few years back, I was with Ardent. Okay, does uh, yep. when when they make a change, you don't see a lot of changing because you guys need to be consistent in what you do. Nobody wants to see you hopping around. If you switch a line, you switch the line you're using, or you switch a rod or a reel, it's got to be for a real good reason because now you're putting hundreds of thousands of dollars on the line, and uh, it, it's it's a it's a big decision to make when you switch. When Fitzgerald, who was only selling rods, and they sell, they make a, a, a darn good rod, when they got into reels as well, does that screw you up? Uh, you know, that, that it's like dominoes. Then now, oh man, Fitzgerald wants me to use their wants me to use their reels instead of in addition to their rods. If I do that, I got to get out of this other thing. People don't realize how complex that whole sponsorship thing is. You're exactly right. So I, 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 you know, take pride in having a relationship with every company that I'm affiliated with. I want your cell phone and I want to be able to call you at eight o'clock at night. And that's what I look for. You know, I'm not, 
I don't want to just have an email and, hey, we talk like that. I want to be a close relationship. So me and Trevor have been close for a very long time, and my trust in his rods was a very easy switch for me to go to his reels as well, you know, um, and the relationships there, if that makes any sense. So, like, every company I'm, I'm with, I've been with for a very long time, well before even fishing professionally, you know, pea line, fishing line and missile baits and stuff like that. It's just the relationships by far the most important thing to me that be able to just, Hey, I'm at a tournament, man. You know, it's eight o'clock at night. Hey, could you help me out? Maybe send me one, you know, this or that, that goes a huge way with me. And, And I try to, you know, show my appreciation for that as well. So, that was an easy, easy switch for me, man, to be honest with you. Yeah. But, yes, there's a lot involved with that. And, you, you know, there's there's guys that have way more sponsors than me and stuff like that, and it could get very complicated. And, you know, I just – my biggest thing is I don't maybe have as many as some people, but I have very good relationships. It's it's amazing, and uh, you're you're cer- you're certainly right about that. And people people wouldn't realize it. They figure, you know, man, oh man, this guy's got twenty rods loaded up. He's ready to go. More tackle than you can imagine. But it always ends up that the day you're you're, you're pre-fishing, you're practicing uh, the day before the the tournament actually kicks off. Now you realize that. Allura is working, but you don't have the right color. Man, I wish I would have had some purple. Uh, and the guys that have good relationships call their sponsor, and boom, all of a sudden they got you overnight in your purple lord. So, so you got what you you've got what you need, and and that's important to have that relationship, be able to rely on uh, on on your manufacturers to come through. Because it, it happens more often than not when you need them at the last minute. And I always joke around. I say, if, if somebody gets to go to one of these tournaments and, and see it, not only is the weigh-in great to see and all that, I, I like being like at the local Walmart the night before and seeing the big names <laughs> walking up and down the aisle buying stuff off the pegs. I go, man, oh, man, doesn't he have enough stuff in that boat? Here here he is pulling pulling lures off the pegs. And, and some sometimes... Uh, you know, you, you want, I say you want that, that one purple lord that's going to do well for you. If you happen to see it in the Walmart on the peg, you might buy them all to make sure that nobody else gets the other ones. It, it's, there's, <laughs> there's so much psychology in it. Oh, yeah, you're exactly right on that. That's happened many times. Yeah, why, why is Kevin Van Dam buying 20 of the same lord? Because he doesn't want the other guys having it. And isn't, it, isn't that something? It, it's, it's such a, a, a mental game in, in so many facets of this fishing. It's hard to understand sometimes how complicated this can be. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe the rain will let up, and uh, we'll get you out from under that marina and, and get you fishing. Uh, you're on your home water, man. Win this thing, because I want to talk to you again, because uh, you are a, a charter captain for Stripers on the Potomac River, and I want to talk about that. Never really talk about striper fishing, but I'd like to talk about that, because uh, I've had people ask about, uh, you know, I want to I do some striper fishing in that area. Where should I go? Uh, I want to talk to you about that so we got somebody to send them to. Well, for sure. You know, so my my father-in-law, you know, I've been working with him for just over 20 years. And he started a, 
he started this business probably 35, 40 years ago on the Chesapeake Bay, and he's got a charter boat, and, you know, he's just well, well respected on the Chesapeake Bay and, and, and the surrounding area. And I was fortunate to start working with him as a mate, and it's blossomed to now. I have my captain's license, and I have a boat as well, but it's all under him. It's loosen up charters, loosen up charters fishing, and, and Captain Frank Barber, that's my father-in-law, we, uh, we're fortunate to be able to do it. It's May 1st till December 31st. We do every kind of fishing there is, you know, light tackle as much as we can. Uh, the early part of the year and the, the late part of the year, we get really, really big ones, and the rest of the year we're light tackling, using live bait and stuff. And, like, right now, for a couple weeks, we're chasing cobia. Uh, a little bit further down the bay, Kobe and redfish and stuff like that. But it's a it's a really cool deal, you know. Um, we really pride our, ourselves on showing people a good time. You know, not everybody that comes fishing with us are are diehard fishermen. They're looking to have a good time. We try to show them a good time, and hey, you know, we take pride in catching the fish too. Um, hey man, you, you know, know, you know what? I'll, really- t- I'll, I'll tell you this. I, I am sure of this. Because when I listen to Brian Schmidt talk, I, I definitely know you love fishing. This turns you on. It it, it, trips oh, you, yeah. it trips your trigger. Nothing you'd rather be doing than catching fish. It comes across. We're out of time. <laughs> Go win this Potomac River thing on your home water, and we'll talk to you again. Brian Schmidt, always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, Steve. Thank you guys for having me. Excellent. Brian Schmidt. Isn't he something else? That wraps up this week's edition of the We Fish ASA podcast, the best darn fishing show on the radio or the internet in the entire USA. I'd like to thank today's guest, Dan Johnston from St. Croix. Very spe- and I'm a very special guest from Calcutta. Our good friends at Calcutta always furnish us with an excellent guest every week on We Fish ASA. And I sure like talking to uh, Brian Schmidt. Boy, that's like a good fisherman understands it all. He explained uh, some great answers to some pretty good questions. Enjoy having Brian Schmidt. Wish him the best of luck. I'd like to thank our sponsors, St. Croix, the best rods on earth, Calcutta, makers of a line of products that fit your fishing lifestyle and passion, and Daiwa. We've got your bass covered, Daiwa Reels. Remember that We Fish ASA presents a new episode of our one-hour podcast each and every week. It's available everywhere you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out our website, wefishasa.com. You know, if you like what you hear, let us know. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about or someone we ought to have on the show, let us know that too. I'm Steve Surley. My partner is Dave Kranz. We'll see you next week now. Let's go fishing. I'm professional angler Kevin Van Dam, and people always ask me, what's the best and easiest way to catch fish? Well, that's simple. Keep our waterways clean and free of litter. You know, tossing your worn out lures in the lake is not a winning move. Pitch them in the trash. Do your part and join me. Visit keepamericafishing.org and pledge to pitch it.